The last four chapters of the book of Matthew, chapter 9, chapter 9, last four verses. Let's stand for the reading of these four verses. This is dynamite, amen. Wonderful. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Now, that's Jewish cities and villages, Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, Jesus was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. I want to use for a subject this morning, there are two harvests. There are two harvests. You may be seated. I'm grateful for the fact that we are on this side of the harvest. There are two harvests. One is the harvest of labor, getting people prepared to meet God. It is a labor of love. It is a labor of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that harvest is right now. But there's coming a harvest that is going to be a harvest of judgment. It's going to be a harvest of the end time. And that is coming soon upon the earth. Our concern today is the first harvest, that God would send forth labors into the harvest, that people would be saved and be prepared to meet God. I'm glad today that we have a message that will prepare us to meet God. Amen. Notice in verse 35, it says, Jesus went teaching, preaching, and healing. Those three things, he went preaching or teaching, healing, and preaching and healing and teaching. Amen? Those three ingredients should be in every church. Every church should have a ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. Many times there's churches that they're just a church of preaching. And you can't be just a church of preaching. You must be a church of teaching. And it must be a place where people can be healed from their wounds and their devastation and their sicknesses and diseases and their afflictions that Satan has put upon all of them. A lot of people say, well, what's the difference? The Bible says that Jesus went teaching and preaching. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, you know what healing is. We don't need a definition of that. But there are many people who say, well, teaching and healing is the same thing. It's not. It is not the same thing. And we need to understand that we are instructed as leaders of the church that we teach the church must be taught. People must be taught the scriptures. That's why we preach verse by verse through the Bible. Every Sunday morning we preach verse by verse through the Bible because we want you to know this book. Not parts of it, not some of it. We want you to know all of it. Now you won't know every little detail, but we want you to know this Bible. And you can only obtain that through teaching. Jesus went into the cities, the villages, Jerusalem, synagogues, teaching. He was speaking to the Jewish people at this time. And he was teaching about his Messiahship and how he had came as the promised Messiah, the Redeemer of not only Israel, but for the world. And Jesus came and took the Scriptures and shared the Scriptures, teaching the Word of God. Now, someone would quickly say, well, why should, we, why should we teach? Well, let me explain something to you. I used to have a yellow 1999 yellow Mustang. I loved that yellow Mustang. It was a GT. It would run fast. 
I mean, real fast. And I pulled up to Dollar General one day, and a young boy says, ooh, I like your, your, your rod. And I said, well, thank you, young man. He said, can I see under the hood? And I raised the hood, and he looked at that motor and said, ooh. He said, that's got some fire in it. And I told him how fast it would get up and go, and he said, shut up. I thought, you little weasel, I'm going to peach your head off telling me to shut up. But I guess shut up meant wonderful, awesome, incredible. Now, we come to church, and, you know, you, you can learn. Teaching is information. Teaching is learning information. Preaching is being stirred and exhorted and aroused to obtain and to lay hold of God's promises. That's what preaching's all about. And so teaching is to inform. For instance, the motor in a car, you look at the motor, you raise the hood, you look at the motor, you say, this is the dipstick <laughs> to check your oil. Here is another bigger dipstick to check your transmission. Here is the motor. Here is the air filter. It's got to breathe. Make sure that the air fil filter is clean. Make sure that the brake fluid is full, and this is the radiator. Don't take the cap off when it's hot. But let it cool off a little bit. That's all information. That's teaching. Preaching is, whoo, this, this car will move. Hallelujah. Glory to God, we're going we're gonna to blow everything off the road with the speed of this awesome motor. This motor is a purring machine, and it growls and roars like a lion. It's a powerful machine, and you, my friends, can ride in this powerful gospel machine of Jesus Christ. That's preaching. But I may know you need some teaching, or you're not going to do much. You're not going to do much hot rodding without oil in the motor. That water in the radiator. My wife can teach you how to make a pie. So here's the flour. Here's the dough. You put a little baking soda and a little egg and a little oil in it, and you mix it up, and you make, get ready to make some pie crust. As you can see, I'm not much of a pie maker. But anyway, my wife goes through all the rituals. She, that's teaching. That's teaching. My wife made a big bunch of homemade bread the other day. And she went to town, said, I'll be right back. <laughs> she had this big silver bowl on the table with dough in it. And she said, if it swells too much, just give it a little pick, just a little jab. I forgot too. She was at the store. And that bread began to run over out of the tub. And boy, when Judy got back, she liked to beat it to death. And some of us need to just be, you know, we need to be stirred and, and take a fork and hit you, you're done. That's preaching. But you can talk about building, uh, making a cake, and talk about, but when it, boy, when you go to preaching, whoo, gooseberry cobbler, that's awesome stuff. I mean, just eat that apple pie, that peach pie, fresh frozen pie, that's contrary, fresh frozen pizzas, but uh, peaches, uh, pie, oh, it's, uh, what kind of pie do you like? All kinds of pie, chocolate pie, gooseberry pie, apple pie, Amen. Woo, pie tastes so good. Woo, it tastes wonderful. If you get a piece of that, that fresh peach pie on your head, your tongue will slap your brains out trying to get to it. That's, that's good eating. That's wonderful. Now that's preaching. But you're not going to get any pie without some teaching. We got too many people showing up to get, eat pie that don't know how to make a pie. 
Too many people showing up trying to get blessed of God, but don't know why God blesses them. They just want to feel it, feel it, feel it. Got to know the rules in a baseball game. I mean, the baseball game, you get three strikes and you're out. If you're up at the batter's box, you get three strikes, you're out. You're out of here. But if there's four balls that are thrown out of the strike zone, you get to walk. If you hit a ball and accidentally tip the, bat, the, the ball with your bat and it fouls and goes up in the air, if no one catches it and you've got two strikes and you make a foul and nobody catches it in the air, you get another chance. That's teaching. But when the coach says on the sideline in the dugout, we're going to go out there and we're going to blow that other team from off the map. You're going to hit the ball over the stadium. We're going we're to run the bases. We're going to wipe them out by, by winning the game. We'll slide in. We're going to run in. We're going to jump in. We're going to overcome. And we're going to hit that ball with furious, uh, furious power and philosophy that will take it above the lights in the stadium. We're going to win this battle. And all the kids go, whoo, and they run out there, and they don't know which end of the bat to hold. <laughs> because they hadn't been taught. Teaching's important. And Jesus went teaching and preaching. Now, if you're in a church that's just a preaching church, you know, that's wonderful. You get pretty fired up, but you just don't know what to be fired up about. Well, I felt it. I felt it. I felt it. Well, you can feel a lot of things. But you got to know it and feel it. Amen. And that's why this church is a teaching church. Not only are we a teaching church, we're a preaching church. Because we've been instructed to preach the Word of God and to teach the Word of God. Timothy was told to do the work of an evangelist, preach the word, instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and, uh, and correct with the instruction. And the word of God is there for us. But the office of a bishop requires the ability of the pastor to teach. Let me prove that to you. I felt a little bit of kickback on that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This is a true saying, if a man desired the office of a bishop, that'd be a pastor, an elder. He desires a good work. A bishop must then be blameless. The husband of one wife, if he's got two, he ain't got time to do anything. Vigilant, sober, good behavior. Given to hospitality, apt to teach. See, that's a requirement of a bishop. He must be able to teach. Timothy was a teacher, and he was written to in Titus chapter 1. And look at verse 6 through 10. Or let's go, yeah, 6 through 10. If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife... By the way, if he's got two or three wives, he's not blameless. Having faithful children, not accursed, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not a hothead, not given to wine, not a drunk, not a striker, not a, that would be a troublemaker, not given to filthy lucre, that is someone greedy for your money but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, there it is, teaching, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, there it is, teaching the word of God, verse 10, for there are many unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, or they of the Jewish people. Now, so when a person stands behind the pulpit, that person should be able to skillfully 
explain the Word of God. It's not a matter of just hollering and jumping and shouting. That's preaching, and I love preaching. But the emphasis is that Jesus went teaching, preaching, and healing. And teaching is so important. In fact, I think it's in uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, let's look at another verse. When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, when Jesus arose from the dead and went back to the Father in his resurrection body, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What did he give pastors and teachers for? And by the way, pastors and teachers are combined. A lot of people talk about the five-fold ministry. It's actually a four-fold ministry. It's apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor who teaches. Amen? Why are we to teach? For the work of the ministry. We are, it is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, why is it so important that we teach, we preach, we heal? Because people are scattered abroad. Notice verse 35 says, Jesus saw them. And he healed every sickness and disease. But in verse 36, he said, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Two things he described them. They were fainted, they had fainted, and they were scattered. Jesus was moved with compassion because people had fainted and were scattered. And we live in a world today that the world has fainted, they've lost heart, they've lost purpose of life, they've lost the joy of living, they've lost purpose in their direction. People have fainted because they've gotten away from the Word of God. People have fainted because preachers have not drawn them in under the umbrella of God's Word. People have fainted, they faint. That word faint means they are mentally disturbed beyond capabilities to function. They have fainted, their dreams have been shattered, their life has been broken, and they are hurting. They are hurting down in the foundations of their heart. They are hurting. And Jesus saw them hurting. And he saw them scattered. You see, the harvest of labor is to go after the scattered. We live in a world that people are scattered. We don't know which ones are the sons of Cain and which ones are the sons of Seth. We don't know which ones that are, that are the elect and which ones that are not. We don't know which ones that are going to believe on Jesus Christ and which ones that are not. But we know this. There's people scattered all around us with their hearts shattered, their minds confused, their soul broken, and they need a shepherd. They need a preacher. They need a teacher that will go to them and say, look, there's still hope beyond this world. There's still a life you can live. You can still give your life to Christ and Christ will guarantee you to live on and on and live forever. There's still healing at the feet of Jesus Christ. There's still mental healing. There's still physical healing. There's still uh, uh, healing in your soul. There's still healing. And this church ought to be a place where people can come and say, whoo, bless God, I feel the presence of God and I know that God is going to heal and remove my confusion, my desperation, my pain, and my agony. And we need to move with compassion. Move with compassion. You say, well, preacher, you're talking about Jesus. I know. And I'm also talking about 
the 12 disciples. But I'm also talking about you. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit, and we'll come back to the other horse in a moment. But there are two harvests. One is the harvest of labor right now. The other is a harvest of judgment, the judgment of God that is coming. Remember Jesus Christ said in Matthew, or Matthew 9, verse 38, pray ye to the Lord of the harvest. Well, who is the Lord of the harvest? Jesus is Lord of the harvest. He's Lord. If he's Lord of lords, then he has to be the Lord of the harvest. He said, well, the Holy Spirit's the Lord of the harvest. Well, yeah, but you got to remember Jesus and the Holy Ghost are one. Father and Son and Holy Ghost are one. And so Jesus prays and says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Because the labors are few. Verse 37, he saith unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. That's the harvest now. Notice how quickly Jesus answers his own prayer. If Jesus told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, if we send forth labors into the harvest because the labors are few, then Jesus prayed too. And notice how quickly Jesus answered his own prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 10. And when he had called unto them his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. He said, boys, you're going to do what I'm doing. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, which is the son of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, that would be James the less, Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, which would be Judas, not Iscariot, Simon of, of Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, no, what he did, verse 5, and he said to these 12, go. He answered his own prayer. How many would agree that we should pray that the Lord would send labors into the harvest? Well, the, the disciples quickly answered their own prayer. They went out, shared the good news of the kingdom of God. So when you pray that the Lord would send labors into the harvest because the labors are few, when you pray, you ought to answer your own prayer. You got a neighbor across the street that needs Jesus. You ought to answer your own prayer. You got a fellow co-laborer at work that needs Jesus. You ought to answer your own prayer. Be reaching out to people and sharing Christ with them. I just thought I'd throw that out. That's for a sermon for next week, basically. But anyway, I, I, I just need to, I need to bring that up because it's so vitally important that you see this. Now, notice that we're scattered. People are scattered everywhere like they have no shepherd. They have no, guide, no one to guide them. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous and the labors are few. What is he saying? He's saying, the judgment's coming. Today, this is an ominous day. The storm clouds of judgment are hovering over our earth. Everywhere you turn, there's signs of his coming. Everywhere you look in politics, you look in social media, economics, you look, there's the signs of his coming. Unrest, nation, restless, just biting at the bits to go to war. Nations rattling their sabers, trying to show their strength. Instability, wars and rumors of war, fires and earthquakes and tsunamis, and storms and all these things and 
the, the beginning of sorrow and people are saying, I don't want your God and I don't want your Bible and I don't want your preaching and I don't want your teaching and I don't want your, I don't want you. Oh, I'll take your healing, but don't come with me with your preaching and your teaching. And there's a world out there that has rejected God. They're scattered everywhere and we need to go find them that will say, yes, I need help. Yes, I need redemption. Yes, I need saved. Because the clouds are hovering low. It's an ominous day. The ominous clouds are gathering all around us. And there are many people that need to be brought into the kingdom of God before it's too late. Amen. I'll be talking about the kingdom of God next Sunday which Jesus sent his disciples to the Jews only at this time. But now as a Gentile bride of Christ made up of Jew, Gentile alike, Greek and, and, and all kinds of uh, Gentiles and barbarians and, and no matter who you are, the church is made up of all kinds of nationalities. And we need to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's that day that we need. It is a harvest of labor. And this harvest of labor is right now. Now! Now the clouds are coming. Now the ground rumbles with God's imminent judgment. Now it's time to get ready. We're on the threshold of the Lord's return. Yes, when he returns for his church, it'll be glorious. Yes, when he returns for you and I, it'll be glorious. But when he returns for his church, it will be horrific and horrifying to planet earth because it will be a time of great judgment and wrath as God comes in the last moments of earth. There's two judgments, one is, or two harvests. One is the labor that's now getting people ready. And by the way, if we don't get people ready, there's not going to be really a harvest that's of a great gathering of saints of the Lord. We need to get busy. Because I remember hauling hay, um, and I try to keep not to remember that. I, I, I've, had, I've had some visits with the psychiatrist a few times, but, you know, I still think of them square bells of hay. I, I consider them, when I see them in my sleep, a nightmare. And I picked up them old bells of hay, them square ones. Not them great big ones that's the size of this platform. You know I'm lying. But them little small square bells of hay. And one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to put hay up in the barn wet. Because it will burn the barn down. And when them old clouds would start coming in and we'd see rain from a distance and it's pouring. We'd all speed up the truck and we'd all run to the truck with bells of hay. And we'd race to the barn to unload the hay and then race back out to the field to get more hay and race to the barn and, and unload it and race back out to the field so that we could get that hay in before the storm hit. Well, I want you to know that we need to race to the world because there's a storm coming. We need to get the wheat in the barn. We need to get people saved and their lives transformed because if they're not transformed, when that judgment comes, they'll be left behind. They'll go through all kinds of horrible situations and horrible things. The ominous, ominous clouds are gathered and they, were, they are filled with the wrath of God's judgment. We need to work hard. We need to work hard. Never before has there been a greater need for harvest workers. We need to tell people. They may not like it, but we need to tell people, amen. Sometimes people just, you know, they're not real friendly when you start talking about Jesus. Shoot, I've met some folks in church that know Jesus. It's not too friendly to me sometimes. Amen. I say all the time, you know, preacher usually gets the blame for everything. If you're too cold right now, it's my fault. If you're too hot, it's my fault. If I preach too long, it's my fault. And that's why I tell everybody, if we get a snow blizzard tonight, it's not my fault. Because I'd get the blame. 
But I want everybody to understand something. And please listen to me. And I tell you what, I draw the... I drawed a really incredible crowd today. <laughs> now, listen to this. We may, have, we may have to force God to punish us, but we will never have to force God to love us. We may have to force God to punish us, but we'll never have to force God to love us. And I want you to know today that harvesters need to be out there. We need to be out there telling people about Jesus. We need to pray. Yeah, pray for the Lord of the harvest, but don't understand that Jesus answered his own prayer here. He called his disciples out and sent them out. He answered his own prayer. And then the disciples prayed for the Lord at harvest to send forth laborers, and they go out and answer their own prayer. Well, probably we need to do the same. Isn't that good? Matthew 13, 30. This is the harvest that is coming. This is the judgment harvest. The harvest of labor is now, but the judgment harvest is coming, the judgment of God. Matthew 13, 30. Jesus Christ said, let both grow together. That's saved and lost, wheat and tares, until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into the barn. That's, that's, that's the second harvest. That's the harvest of judgment. Jesus spoke of it like this in Matthew 24, verse 31. Again, he said, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from, the end, from one end of heaven to the other. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. Right now, the ominous clouds are gathered. Right now, God's going to come in judgment, but we must, we must scurry along. We must run with bated breath, telling people, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Our Lord is coming. Get ready. Get in church. Serve God. Be baptized. Follow the Lord. Obey God. Get ready. The Lord is coming coming soon. Now, where he's talking about getting the elect, he's speaking of Israel during the great tribulation. When Jesus Christ returns, you can read ahead in Matthew 24, prior to that, the verses prior to that, you'll find that Jesus is talking about when the Son of Man returns in all of his glory with the holy angels. The church will be with him when he does that. But when Jesus Christ comes to planet Earth, he's not coming in mercy. He's coming in judgment. In fact, prior to that, hailstones, locusts, plagues, devastation, antichrist, mark of the beast, collapse of the economy, darkness, and, and pain, and sickness, and affliction, earthquakes, and tsunamis, intensified, and as Jesus comes in the clouds of glory, you'll see the sign of him return as lightning from the east to the west. And he'll come with his church. When he comes with his church, he shall send his angels out. This is just before the millennium. And the angels will go out at the end of the great tribulation and they'll gather the tares into, into bundles. They'll put them in a barn to be burned, to be destroyed. And they'll gather the wheat uh, and gather it to be redeemed and, and to be given a, a, a life upon the earth with the leadership of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want, you to right now, I want you to know right now, God is gathering some wheat in the barn. God is gathering his children in the barn. God is getting us ready. He's coming, and we need to get everybody on board. Oh, there'll be some saved in the Great Tribulation. In fact, there'll be more people saved in the Great Tribulation, I think, than ever in the history, the past history, or even in the history of the church. 
Pray tell me, why would you want anyone to go through what's coming? And there'll be multitudes and masses of people that will stand before God and God will say, depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There'll be a massive amount of people that Jesus Christ will say, I don't know you. They'll say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Jesus said, I don't know you. Yes, you do. We went to church. Yes, you do. We did miracles. Yes, you do. We did great things. Yes, we, yes you do. We cast out devils. We did wonderful things. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, no. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that do iniquity, into the everlasting fire prepared to the devil and his angels. So signs, signs that you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. If you're a Christian, signs will follow you. You don't make signs, look at me. Look, 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 I'm a preacher. Look, look, look. If you have to tell everybody you're a preacher, you're probably not much of one. I've got a nickname all around town. There's preacher. I'll not tell you what the Mexican brothers call me. Call me Father Pedro. They always offer me a drink. I always turn it down. <laughs> That's probably the only place I could drink and get away with it. But anyway. <laughs> That's why I sneak, out, sneak over there without anybody with me. But anyway. They know me quite well. I'll never smell like liquor. I'll never smell like drugs. I'll never smell like marijuana. I'll never smell like uh, sinful activities. If you get around me, you're going to smell Bible. You're going to smell Bible. Amen? We need some laborers. We need some people, and, and let me say quickly, because it's important that you understand that you be part of a church that teaches. It's important because that's a requirement of a bishop. That is a requirement. Paul made it very clear. He wanted his leaders in church to be able to teach sound doctrine. And so you need to be in a church that not just preaches, but teaches. And that's why if you were to ask me what kind of church we are, I would tell them we're a teaching church. But we have blowouts often for Jesus. We're a teaching church. Woo! But sometimes I like to, hallelujah! Woo! Can't you feel the presence of the Lord? Glory to God! Hallelujah! See, I remember that joke you told. I'd rather you remember that verse I preached. Most of us need to be taught why we believe what we believe. Most people need to be taught how to answer a lost person if they ask, how can I be saved? Or how do you know you're saved? And that's why Jesus Christ called the apostles the prophet, the evangelist, pastor and teacher, the fourfold ministry, pastor and teacher is the same. That's why he called the fourfold ministry to edify the church, to instruct, to teach, to prepare us for what we need to be. Now, I know there's those that go around telling everybody they are apostle so-and-so. Someone asked me the other day, do you have an apostle? In your church, I said, yes, we do. In fact, we've got several of them. Oh, that's wonderful. I can tell you're Pentecostal. you got lots of uh, 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 apostles. I said, we do. we got several. He said, who are they? I said, Apostle Paul, Apostle John, Apostle Matthew. Oh, I thought you really had an apostle. I said, I really do. 
yeah, but they're dead. I said, no, they're not. I just read their writing a little while ago. They're not dead. They're still speaking. Joe, preacher, you don't believe in apostles. Yes, I do, but I hadn't met too many yet. Maybe one. In my whole lifetime, I maybe met one person. Actually, an apostle fits more in our day as a missionary who founds a church, establishes a church, gets that church strong, puts a pastor in it, moves on like Paul's work. But enabled to be an apostle, the requirements is you have to see Jesus resurrected. That was one of the requirements for an apostle. You had to see, you had to be one that saw Jesus resurrected. You say, well, how about Apostle Paul? He came afterward. Yeah, and he saw him on the road to Damascus. Duh. Prophet. Are there any prophets today? Well, there might be. But I don't need someone to come up to me and say, glory to God, I perceive that you love the Lord. Really? That all you got for me? There's going to come a dark time in your life. Really? You got some more? Yeah, but hold on. It'll get light. What are you giving me? The weather forecast? (laughs) I perceive you're going through a hard time. Well, who in this building isn't? You got a sickness in your body. Who doesn't? Some of you say your body's quite healthy, but you ain't checked out your head yet. Now that's preaching, not teaching. You know, if my church ever gets split, and by the way, the only splits I like is banana splits, but if my church ever gets split, I don't want to split over tongues. I don't want to split over Pentecostal viewpoints. If my church ever gets split, I want it to be split over sound doctrine. Now, I understand Pentecostal has a lot of good sound doctrine. But I do know what difference does it make whether someone jumps two pews or three? Amen? When we bought these chandeliers, when we built this church, when we bought these chandeliers, they weren't cheap back then. And they said, what do you want? And I said, want a big chandelier? They said, well, how low you want it to reach the auditorium where the people are sitting? And I said, high enough they can't reach it. He looked at me, kind of a puzzled look. He said, why? I said, because you don't know the church I pastor. Before we get out of there, they'll be swinging from the chandeliers. I'm not opposed to that. Help yourself. (laughs) Go for it, Joanne. And if she does it, I'm resigning the church today. Because I'm going somewhere for some therapy. Please hear me. The most important thing that anyone in this room can have is an understanding of the Scripture. We need to be taught. And I will agree, the teaching of the Scriptures will bring you to a Pentecostal belief. I will admit that. Teaching of the Scriptures will bring you to much of the Pentecostal belief. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, it all bring you there. But don't take us there until we know what we're talking about. Let's don't, let's don't divide each other. Let's learn together. Isn't that good? Amen. So we have teaching, we have preaching, and we have healing. 
And Joanne needs healing after jumping for the chandelier. <laughs> now, I guess, my, I guess my question would be this as we give the invitation. Why do you believe on Jesus Christ? Was it because you just wanted to escape hell? Well, that's a good reason, but why? Who is Jesus? How many Bible verses can you teach and share? Not for public, but to yourself. How, many, how much of the Bible do you really know? Or is it pieces? And if you only have pieces, it came through a preaching church. But teaching fills in the pieces. Amen? It's so important that we understand that if we don't have a sound doctrine in our heart, someone to knock on your door and confuse you like a termite and a yo-yo, someone to come to your door and they'll share something with you that will drive you, 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 you'll go to thinking, well, maybe they're right. Amen? I love it when someone tries to challenge me and say, well, Jesus isn't God. I say, really? And I start in on them all the scriptures. He's the son of God. I said, yeah, he's God. And they usually leave cursing. I had a lady come up to a church one time. I was in Nevada, Carson Valley area. And I was preaching, and I preached really hard, and God was moving. And I noticed this woman came in. She stood in the foyer, and she just looked in, and she waited till I give the invitation. There was a moving of the Spirit of God, and this woman comes through the door. And when she comes through the door, after she didn't listen to the sermon, she just came to the door when I give the invitation. And there was a man who went to the altar. Tears were flowing out of his eyes onto the off his cheeks onto the altar. He was crying out to God. And this woman come up behind him and took him by the arm and lifted him up and said, you don't have to fear. I'm here. I'm Jesus. How many know I came unglued? I said, crazy woman, you're not Jesus. To start with, Jesus is a man, the God-man. So secondly, your hands don't have no holes in them. Your side's not wounded. Besides that, you're crazy. Go away. So why didn't you cast the devil out of her? Well, to be quite frank with you, I just wasn't up for the, for the ordeal. Because she had already did enough disruption in the church. And when she, we put her out, she went out. We didn't throw her out, but she went away. She, oh, I forgive you all. I forgive you all. And she walked out. That man that was crying in that altar, I said, you can go back now and call on the true Jesus. And he did. And he got gloriously saved. And I baptized him later in Carson River. But that was the devil trying to keep that man from being saved. Amen. We went down to Carson River to baptize that man. He had a Church of Christ background. He said, preacher, baptize me good. He said, I want to be baptized really good. Because he had a Church of Christ background. And I said, well, you've already been baptized in the gym. He said, but when you baptized me in the river, baptized, and if you know anything about Carson River, it, it gets most of its water off the snow off the Tahoe Mountains. It's pretty cold. And I took him out in the water, and I didn't measure him up. He was taller than I thought he was. When I went to baptize him, I slipped on a slick rock. I stepped on him. 
I mean, I was standing on him. He's under the water. And like a Holy Ghost flash, I dived over like a swan dive, right over the top of, into the river, head first. I come out of that cold water, and I was baptized. <laughs> that guy came out of that cold river, and he said, Woo, preacher, you did it. You did it. Woo, you really did baptize me. I said, yes, I did. He said, it was wonderful. And I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't near as happy as he was. But see, we would have missed all that if that woman had tore it up. We need to know the Scriptures. We need to know what the Scriptures are saying. You can miss heaven if you listen to the wrong person. You need to be taught. You need to learn. I do. Say, preacher, don't you need to be taught? (laughs) Oh, you better believe it. I learn every day. I spend hours learning. I learn and learn and learn. And the more I learn, the more dumber I see I am but to fulfill the agenda, apt to teach, sharing the ministry. So let me encourage you. The preaching's wonderful, and we're going to have it. We're going to have healing. But let me encourage you. Get your seat at the table, and let's learn. Let's be a teaching church. Preaching, yes, but teaching, so important. Stand with me. Josh going to come and bring us on. Glad you came. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm getting a little warm in this jacket right now. I'd almost welcome Carson River. <laughs> almost. Now, I want to invite you, if you're not sure, if you're just, you know, if there's a question in your heart, You're not sure that you're a Christian. You're not sure that you've been forgiven. I'd like to invite you to come to this altar and call on the Lord and say, I'm going to do everything possible to live for Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to do everything within my ability. And that includes following Jesus. I'm going to ask him to forgive me and save me. Not an experience a lifetime not just an experience a lifestyle a lifetime of Jesus living for Jesus you know when I got saved I lived for Jesus I've been living for Jesus ever since when I got saved it done I mean it done the devil in on my life I mean I was free I've been free ever since when Jesus saved me I was saved indeed to truth and I've never looked back I've never questioned it And that's the kind of salvation that everyone in this room must have. It's a salvation that will spin you around and take you the other direction where you're living for Jesus. Because, hey, the ominous clouds are gathered. Judgment is coming. And you don't want to be part of the last harvest. You want to be part of this harvest. Letting Jesus come into your heart. Go ahead, Josh.